0: One, two, three.
1: Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that asks our guests to tell three song stories and reflect on the way their lives have intersected with music. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canire. Our guest today is Robert Goodwin, or Bob, or Bobby G to me and our group of friends. Bob grew up here in Fort Myers. These days he lives in New York City. Prior to that, he lived out west in L.A. and other various places around the country, including the Northeast and Michigan for a while, if I'm not mistaken. Bob's a childhood friend of mine. We grew up playing junior golf together and being generally mild mannered hooligans in the 80s. And he's lived an interesting life that's included stints in the military and in government, including time spent at the Pentagon and in the White House and in the corporate world, as well as the nonprofit and non governmental organization worlds. He's literally worked all around the world. He sent me a link to his LinkedIn page for details, but it wanted me to create an account to see it, and the last thing I need is another social media account. So this is pretty much just from memory. In a message to me prior to this recording, Bob characterized himself as being focused on leveraging the power of business to make a difference in the world. My translation of that is he always has and always will do whatever he can with what he's got to help people and the planet, whether next door or on the other side of the world. He's recently started his own company that's focusing on the problem of ocean plastics from how to stem the tide of adding more to what to do with what we can remove. I presume we'll learn at least a little more about that soon, but first, let's get to the song stories. Hey there. Hey there, Bob. (laughs) Hey, Mike. Um, I'm so happy you're doing this.
0: Well, thanks. Good to be here.
1: Um, what is the name of your company? You didn't send it to me and I couldn't get the LinkedIn.
0: <laughs> well, we've been a little bit under the radar. It's called Ocean Cycle.
1: OK. And it's this is a whole new venture, right?
0: It is. Yeah. So we're trying to work with major companies to just simply work with their existing supply chain. And if they're going to use virgin plastics, we said, why don't you use collected ocean plastics as an alter- alternate uh, to those virgin plastics, as well as working on um, longer term solutions to the, to the problem, for example example, uh, biopolymers that uh, create a straw that operates just like a plastic straw, but if you throw it away, it biodegrades even in marine environments.
1: What a great idea, huh? <laughs> well, everyone wants to <laughs> ban
0: straws, and it's like, well, actually, straws are useful. Right. Uh, if you look, I have my little Starbucks coffee
1: here. Yeah, your strawless coffee. My
0: strawless coffee, except what most people don't know is the lid actually has more plastic than the former lid and straw combined. And, yeah, in other
1: words, it's a net loss, even though it looks better.
0: Right. It looks better. Yes. Ah, right. We're doing something. Maybe yeah. not the right thing, but we're doing something.
1: Well, I, I wish you all the best in your new venture. Well, thank you. Um, what was the musical background of your childhood?
0: Uh, very musical at the beginning, because my dad was an amazing pianist. and really? uh, At Christmas time, we had a, a huge organ on the left and a grand piano that my dad had refurbished in Old Steinway that was a player piano. Oh, wow. And at Christmas time, he'd play both at the same time. Uh, based on where it was in the song, and it was just awesome. But he, my sister, who's six and a half years older, uh, he made her take piano lessons. Uh, she played for a while and quit. Then my brother's five and a half years older. He played for a while and quit. So by the time I came around, he was like,
1: "You didn't even try uh, on you? No, did not even go try go play on. golf." Right? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Did you ever play any musical instruments? I played
0: uh, the trombone in the band. Okay, uh, you were in the band at Cypress. I was, yeah. Uh, but then you know, when my dad my dad passed when I was fifteen, and so I kind of like ended that music when I was young and then I just... I don't. know. I always wanted to produce the piano, so in my place in New York, I actually have like a, a keyboard that I'm starting to learn. Oh yeah. And I have a guitar that barely gets played, but it's you know I, I'm I'm aspiring. I think I have it inside me. You got to pick
1: it. it up every day. You got to touch know. it every day. Fifteen minutes every day in a year, you'll be able to play. Yes. That's, so that's what you got to do all the time. Yes. It's true. It's very true. Um, what about music being played around you when you were a kid? Was there music on the radio? Was there a turntable in the house? Uh,
0: well, anytime I drove with my dad, he always played classical music, and then okay. the thing he would do, we go to see the symphony or something like that. But I wouldn't say. My brother and sister played a lot of different music, but my mom, not so much. Although she loved musicals, and the two movies we would watch every year were The Sound of Music and uh, The Wizard of Oz. Of course. So I definitely, that's a kind of a childhood memory of just a bonding uh, time with my mom. But I can't say that there was that. My first album ever was uh,
1: Thriller, which was given okay. to me,
0: my first tape. It was a tape, <laughs> right? Yes, we were exactly. in that sweet spot for the tapes. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Um, yeah, so Thriller, what was the first band you connected to You know, that was like something you might consider your favorite band suddenly you know?
0: uh well you know huge prince fan and right. I, we, we were in, we were in the genre uh, genre of uh, purple rain yeah and the first time i ever asked a girl out on a date was to go see purple rain and she rejected me oh wow did you <laughs> so go see it anyway I, I did go see it anyway <laughs> but it was like it was a sad moment
1: do you remember the first song that you uh, danced with a girl to
0: Oh, my gosh. I was such a nerd in school. I don't think I was. was like, <laughs> I have no idea. No? No. Oh, I, I do. I think it was uh, our Richard Marks. um
1: right there waiting for you yes exactly it was you know you put the hand on her hips and yeah, you kind the, of rock back the shuffle, and forth yes. the foot in between your shuffle yeah. um, wow I just lost my train of thought because that's so great because yeah I totally yeah, you know obviously I was there too um, what was the um, so Prince was the first music that you oh no Thriller was the first music yeah. that you and yourself um, do you dance today how's that for a pivot
0: uh, <laughs> I, I mean I did, well you know I worked all throughout Our South board America
1: is shaking his head yes <laughs>
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, my my nephew is running the board, and so – but uh, I'd say I worked all through South America, so it's like I learned how to merengue and salsa. Not great at it, but I – I um, went to this special program at the University of Florida between my junior and senior year of high school, and there was people from all around the country. And there was this whole contingent of kids from inner city Detroit, and they exposed me to two live crew and all this Mm -hmm. like crazy rap music. And I said – and they saw I had at least some semblance of moves, and they Mm -hmm. said, you know, white boy, we're going to take you under our wing. And so I think that's where I first got my uh, take. So I I love to dance. I don't really – I'm not a club you, kid. And, but you don't
1: have the um, um, fear of dancing in public that stops some people in their tracks. No. So if true. you, if uh, you know, post-wedding Bob is out there boogieing. I am,
0: yes. <laughs> Although I'd say that uh, maybe just I don't do it very often, so I have a little bit more like trepidation. But, you know, hey, I'll get a couple cocktails in me and I'm out there.
1: All right. Um, what about singing? Are you a public singer? Or are you a private singer? Uh, well— Interesting thing, I moved to New York a little over a year
0: ago and I said I want to do something creative, so I started taking voice lessons. Oh, really? So I started singing one to Like an onion,
1: Bob. I didn't know. (laughs) Yes,
0: To get out the creative side. Because, you know, I was a very creative kid. I was actually in our, in Cypress middle, I was like on the um, video production. I was like this main kind of character who did all these different shows And, and then I just, I think my life kind of took a turn where I became very serious and had really jobs with a lot of responsibility. I kind of that fun side my family sees, but it's not something that I, I think I I I sho- I stuffed it down a little bit. So I've been trying to recapture
1: it. Do you think that was tied to your dad passing away? Because you said that's kind of where music stopped too.
0: Yeah, I think it's a lot of tragedy. You know, so both my grandparents passed within a couple of weeks of each other when I was thirteen. My dad a year and a half later. I'm the youngest of all the kids. So it's like my aunts, uncles, cousins, you know, one of my classmates from the Air Force Academy, you know, committed suicide. You know, I've in combat zones had multiple people kind of get killed or, um, you know, so it's, you know, I think it's – I think I've had to deal with a lot of that stuff and just very serious jobs like disaster response and yeah. going to places like Haiti. It just – it's a more serious kind of thing.
1: How did you wind up on the track to the Air Force Academy? I, don't, I remember it happening but I don't really <laughs> remember the reasoning behind it. I I still to this day don't know exactly how it happened, but I just (laughs) – That's funny because it really changed the course of your life. (laughs) No, seriously. Well, I
0: just knew my mom couldn't really afford to send me anywhere to school. She worked at an an elementary school as a bookkeeper. Um, My dad didn't really leave us much when he passed away. So I always loved the space program and I – and I think in some ways not having that kind of father figure, I had more like public figures were my people I looked up to, like the mm-hmm. presidents and this and that. So I always wanted to be kind of a modern-day John Glenn, go into the space program to do something you know, in public life after. Uh, and somehow I was in the guidance counselor's office. I started like looking through all these pamphlets. I was like, wow, the Air Force Academy because no one from Fort Myers – like ever goes to the Air Force Academy. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so I literally read everything I could, and um, I actually never got to go before – most people go for a little visit before they decide to go. My mom couldn't afford to send me there, so I was like – so I showed up the first day. They shaved my head, and it's like, that's it.
1: Um, Did you ever – how far down the road toward astronaut did you go? I mean, did you – were you trying to work that angle and something stopped you or did you just get there and find other interests and that wasn't?
0: Uh, well, you know, it was interesting because all the classes I loved in high school were math and science. And then I got to the got to the academy and the courses I didn't like so much were thermodynamics and aeronautical engineering. Uh, and the classes I liked were biology and economics. I said, well, maybe the astronaut dream is out yeah. uh, or I would have gone to pilot training but during the mid-90s when all the cutbacks happened, so most of us who would have gone to pilot training didn't get to go. So my hmm. – so they were kind of either the past as, the, as a scientist or as a pilot and both kind of ended for me. So I said, all right, I, I got to do something different.
1: Hmm. Well, let's get to your
0: first song. Um, sure. Uh, you know, so I'm in this kind of like whole uh, reflective mode and kind of saying like how do I – What's my place in the world? And one of the songs that I have uh, just has kind of guided me throughout that and I think of it often is uh, Fleet Foxes' Helplessness Blues. Um, And there's a part of it that starts and it says, you know, I was um, raised up believing I was somehow unique, like a snowflake, distinct among snowflakes, unique in each way you can see. But now after some thinking, I'd say I'd rather be a functioning cog in some great machinery serving something beyond me. And the mindset of so I've everyone was like, hey, when you're a kid, you'll be the best that you can be, and this and that. And I think there's a lot of people trying to be exceptional, but they don't necessarily think about like the impact on the planet. You know, talk about plastic before, mm-hmm. like the whole plastic industry started because of space. It was like, hey, this amazing thing. Well, it's lighter, it's stronger, it'll get us, you know, able to go to the moon. Um, but no one ever thought about those like long term consequences of their actions. So I'm, I'm just trying in my own life to say, how do I have my own unique place, but in an ecosystem that actually um, helps others as well. And it's not just me out there on my own. I'm not a Kardashian who's like, you know, living this great life. But what's the harm that I'm causing mm-hmm. by addicting people to social media as an example?
1: Hmm. How did you find this song or how did the song find you? Um, I don't know. I just uh,
0: I just somehow listened to it and it just and I well, I guess one of the reasons I like Prince so much is that his music is so different and varied and I think this song not only has a lot of meaning but it has so many different changes to it that it just and I feel like I have a lot of aspects to my personality so for whatever reason when I just heard it I was just like this is something I just liked the sound and then when I started really getting to the lyrics it was really an interesting journey
1: All right, well let's listen to it I've never actually heard it before this will be the first time Um, this is Helplessness Blues correct? Yep Uh, by Fleet Foxes from their 2011 album of the same name Where does that song fit into your life today? Do you uh, listen to it often? Do you listen to that band often? Or is that an outlier?
0: Uh, I have listened to some of their songs. I wouldn't, but that's the one that kind of sticks with me. Um, and I'd say I'm in the process of working on a book, which is uh, essentially if you want to make a difference in the world, like here's how to do it, but to also give people some windows into things Like you're through. writing a book? I am,
1: well, yeah, Let's talk about that <laughs> a little bit. Keep going. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, I just – all the time I speak at colleges and this and that. I'm always – these young people will say to me, oh, I want to go work for a nonprofit. I say, don't you dare. Like, why not? I was like, because you don't know anything yet. You don't have any skills yet. Go get some real skills in the business world. Learn how to – you know, go work for Exxon and figure out – help them figure out how to spend their $40 billion better in a way that kind of makes the world better. Find a way to not just have the profit motive but have profit and purpose kind of go together. Um so it really kind of starts with, you know, what are you best at in the world? Secondly, what's unique about your own personal story? Like, you know, I lost, you know, my dad and a lot of people close to me. Um, others were professional athletes, you know, others have had, you know, something unique. Some people were sexually assaulted when they were young, which gives them a window into reaching others. And then third, I think is um something is is what is What's the real hook? Like some people will say it's about uh, women empowerment for example. But if you really push them, it's about mentorship because they had a mentor when they were young. So if you can actually get them focused on mentorship, there's that much greater emotional connection because most people get involved in purpose because their friend said, hey, I'm working with whatever nonprofit. Will you come to this fundraiser? Will you do this volunteer project with me? And then the other thing is uh, once you figure out the the what, it's the where is it Brazil? Is it India? Is it your local school? Because if you can figure out the what and the where, I can find the best person in the world that's already either working there or in near proximity that you can partner with. Mm. And then it's about kind of doing a full inventory of everything you have at your disposal and then bringing that to bear on the problem. So for example, I used to coach all these executives and they'd say, oh man, I can't wait to retire because then I can give back. I was like, don't you dare retire? (laughs) Because right now as a senior vice president, you can move millions of dollars and thousands of people. So find a way to Leverage that now versus mm-hmm. waiting till after you retire, and then no one returns your phone calls
1: does that resonate to people at those highest echelons, or is that kind of are you like a out outlier <laughs> i've always been
0: an outlier well of course, but you know uh. what I
1: mean uh, you know the world's changed a lot since you kind of left for the Air Force Academy, and in some ways that might seem to be resonant now, but in some ways that's a pretty immovable object you're trying to move
0: it's resonant, but I just don't think they even think about it. I think that there's a lot of people separate their work lives and their service lives and my mission is to try to integrate those two. Hmm. Um, So for example, when I was at Mattel, we had the Hot Wheels brand. And I helped design a program called Speedometry, which used Hot Wheels to teach math and science in elementary schools. Parents loved it. Teachers loved it. Kids loved it. Learning outcomes went up. uh, Positive emotions went up. Negative emotions went down, especially among girls. And so here it was, Hot Wheels, doing what they do best, building track and this and that. And we designed a curriculum to teach math and science. And it was one of those win wins where you know people are like, "Wow, the Hot Wheels brand did this. This is awesome. So let's, um, you know, let's buy more Hot Wheels." So it was something that kind of created a, a halo for the brand, right? Where those people in the Hot Wheels brand in the past were like, "Oh, well, let's make our money and then we can give some of it back to do some mm-hmm. good," versus just saying, "Well, how do you take all this talent and expertise and just put it all into one one thing?" Mm. You got a working title for that book. Um, you're on the record (laughs) (laughs) I you know I've uh, you know I I always thought about like stop cleaning up parks would be the thing. Like, cause all these like top finance people in the world go and they'll volunteer for a day and like clean up a park. And I'm like, right. well, it's nice you did that, but I could probably hire someone for $10 an hour. Why don't you be the top finance person in the world and find new models of yeah. financing this? But I, I don't know. I'll get back to you.
1: Well, you know, and, and speaking of people who want to go work for the nonprofit world, it's like they think, oh, it's nonprofit. It'll be fun and easy or something. And it's harder. It's harder. <laughs> yes. I worked for six years at the Alliance. It's a nonprofit. We, it's a true nonprofit that operates on. On a responsible shoestring budget. And we all worked our asses off. It was right. not like, oh, we're in an art center.
0: It's like work. <laughs> well, and this whole notion about, oh, how much is going towards overhead is a, is a fundamentally flawed perspective. Because if I work for a consulting firm and I have 50% overhead, no one cares. But if I have a nonprofit that has 50% overhead, no one will give me a dollar. Right. But so there's – that leads to this expectation that people should be able to do this work with phones that don't work, computers that don't operate. So people are spending so much time on just stupid things versus like being able to focus their energies.
1: Amen to that. Um, So where does music fit into your world? What do you listen to it on Uh, when you're at home? Do you have vinyl? Kind of paint the picture of your modern media consumption.
0: Yeah. I would say that I will a lot of times go on iTunes and see what is – like popular because I have seven nieces and nephews and I need to stay in touch with you right. know, what they're listening to. Like I took my niece to Taylor Swift in New York, right? Uh, which it was a great concert, but not something I would expect. Uh, but I would say at this point um, when I try to listen to a lot of new music, it just doesn't resonate as much with me. So I, I find I'm more like listening to a playlist that I created, you know, five years ago or mm-hmm. something like that, just listening to that over and over. Because even if I put, you know, a Prince channel or a or a John Legend or something like that. There's a lot of songs that that are supposed to link to that that come up, and I'm like, "What is what is this?" Hmm. So,
1: when was the last time you bought music that had a physical form?
0: Oh my gosh, uh, years! I can't even think. Maybe five, ten years. Like
1: a CD, maybe. Yeah, you don't have vinyl then. You're not no. I'm not a vinyl guy. up in that world. I've
0: moved too much. I don't have enough storage for all that stuff. Yeah, I gotcha.
1: Um, What about live music? Uh, What what was the most recent concert you saw? Taylor Swift, (laughs) New York.
0: Um. What did I see recently? I I saw YouTube um, two. That Joshua. Is that
1: the one where you like posting pictures on Facebook from the front freaking row? Yeah. Yeah. This is good. Well, I don't know if you know, but I took.
0: Uh... Oh, I remember sort <laughs> of. <laughs> Continue. No, I just well back in 2002, I was part of the team that took Bono on his first trip to Africa.
1: That's not even what I thought I remembered. Go keep going. <laughs>
0: so, no, it's just, uh, it was with the Treasury Secretary. So, they needed people who had experience uh, working with Secret Service. And I had done some presidential advance. So, they asked me, hey, will you go to Africa? So, I, my country was Ethiopia, or sorry, Uganda. And then we went to Ethiopia from there. And it was uh, kind of funny because Chris Tucker also joined the trip, the movie studio. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well,
1: who was funnier?
0: Well, what was crazy is that no one in Africa knew who Bono was. Oh, right, so right. Chris Here's Tucker this, this was – short guy
1: with sunglasses. Yeah. They are, I have these
0: articles. I saved the clippings and it says, uh, you know, you should pay attention to Bono because he knows white people in power. That was literally the newspaper wow. clippings in Straight Uganda. Straight to the heart of it. Right. Um, but Chris Tucker was like 100 times the star. So it was really kind of uh, challenging because everyone wanted to hang out with Chris Tucker and not right. Bono were among – Us that are on the trip, I mean, everyone wanted to hang with Bono. And so the last night we were in Ethiopia, all we had to do was the next morning get up and get on the plane. There's like – I don't know if you've ever heard of Addis Ababa. There's a Sheraton there, which is like a five-star hotel. It says something like 20 percent of the GDP of the country and outside is abject poverty. But it's a five-star club, five-star this. So we're hanging out with Bono in the VIP area go down the dance floor. He's dance with all the girls. We're just kind of hanging out. And in walks Chris Tucker. He's got security all around him. They escort him to the VIP area. They start playing his movie clips on the wall. They make <laughs> announcements like, we love Chris Tucker! And the crowd's like, yeah! And Bono's like, yeah. You know, you could just tell, like, he's so accustomed to being the alpha, and in that situation, he wasn't. I can
1: only imagine. Um, Have you crossed paths with him over the years? Like, if if you wind up in his presence, will he, like, give you a little nod? Like, Mm -hmm. or has he just met a million people and you haven't quite entered that echelon? Yeah, I don't think... uh, I mean,
0: some of his staff and this and that might remember me, but no, I didn't uh, do that.
1: What's your peak uh, live music experience from your life?
0: Uh, Well... It actually was a U2 experience too because it was on a a birthday and I had bought uh, these tickets to see them in Dublin because I was like, I got to see U2 in Dublin. This is maybe six or so years ago and I wasn't able to go and I ended up giving away those tickets to some like family who couldn't afford to go. And I was really bummed about it. But I had a birthday in New York and these friends like just showed up and said they were kind of kidnapping me. And I was like, "Where are we going? What's happening?" And they, we took this ferry across the water. There was a guy meeting us there with a car. They had a, some clothes for me to change into. I was like, "I had no idea what was happening." And they then, kidnapped you and took you to Ireland? <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh. They took me to um, giant stadium <laughs> oh, where they okay. were playing the 360, you know, tour. <laughs> but you know, Ireland would have been nice. Uh, but and that was just, and it was just so unexpected and so cool, especially since I had like done the thing with the tickets with those other for that family.
1: Absolutely. What's the furthest you've ever traveled? I, I, I wasn't going to ask that because you said Ireland, but then you didn't get to go. So what's the furthest you've actually traveled just to see music? Seems like you may uh, have made a I would special say, well, trip. I went
0: to uh, Rock in Rio, uh, so I went Rio de Janeiro to, to see that. That was a funny story because uh, – so it was the night I went was Alicia Keys and then Justin Timberlake. And they loved Alicia Keys and whatever else. And then Justin Timberlake came on. They hated him oh, yeah, because it was like the suit and tie tour. And he had all this orchestra and this and that. And because I think it was so complex, so many different instruments that the Brazilian's more like a very simple beat in a uh, lot of yeah, music. Yeah. And they just couldn't get it. I'm in the crowd like rocking out like, yeah, yeah, JT, bring And they're all just it. like, yeah Right. And then when his old stuff came on, they liked it. But I was like, oh, man.
1: That's so funny. Um, OK. Well, it is time for song number two. Okay. What, what do you have and how do you want to set it up?
0: Well, I, 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 gosh, and I feel like does this song fit now? The tonal
1: shift. No, <laughs> right. that's okay. That's okay. the beauty of the show, man. And I know. No, I there's know. no rules. There's no <laughs> lines.
0: So, I mean, it is a very powerful memory. So when you go to the Air Force Academy, um, when you're a freshman, they call you a smack which stands for soldier minus ability, coordination, and knowledge. Okay, And so that's what the upperclassmen call you, like, hey, smack, you know, come over here. So during basic training, there was a song that was uh, – became kind of the song of our class. And it's Billy Joel's um, Goodnight Saigon and uh, – and so there's a part in it, um, like and we will it was it was really about he was with people in uh, Paris Island, like basic training. So it kind of resonated and then it's like we'll all go down, you know, together. And then there's a whole thing after you finish your freshman year at the Air Force Academy, there's recognition weekend where it's another full on weekend of hazing and marching and this and that. And when that ends, you get recognized, you're seen as an upperclassman, and you get a radio and you get to have like, you know, wear civilian clothes. It's a really big deal. No longer a smack. No longer a smack. (laughs) And – but every year they had talked about – like there's always this thing about spirit missions and there's this uh, area near the academy called Flatiron which you can see from the academy grounds and it's a – and so there was – everyone had talked about this and we all had this plan to sneak out of our dorm rooms with a sheet and we're going to make this huge 94 for the class of 94 like on the mountain that everyone could see and everyone would be like, yes, that's the coolest thing ever. Well, most of us got out of our rooms on, you know, didn't get caught, but there was a group that were caught and then our plan was like foiled and then the upperclassmen were there and trying to get us to come back and everyone thought we had approval to kind of do this and this brawl ensued and all this kind of stuff. Brawl? Yeah, like, brawl. Like, like
1: fisticuffs? Well, with, not
0: with me, <laughs> but like some of the other people that were there and then – and I think some of the upperclassmen had been was out there drinking. Was there alcohol or, involved? Yeah. yeah okay. We weren't – we were too young to be drinking at this point, um, but uh, – and then so it became this huge deal cuz the the head general wasn't in town so they essentially canceled recognition and was uh, this your idea <laughs> No, it was not. I mean, I, I was in, I was there, out in the cold with a sheet, you know, right, right, right. ready to put this big ninety four. Uh, and so um, I'll never remember. Like they shut everything down, and we were silenced. Like upperclassmen were not allowed to talk to us. And then that night, the first night of uh, not being recognized, everyone was playing music out in the quad. And when this, when our song, class song, came on, we changed the words from like, we instead of we will all go down forever, it's like we will all be smacks forever and so i still just remember this just in such great uh, detail
1: well let's listen to it then this is uh bob's song number two good night saigon by billy joel from his 1982 album the nylon curtain we all go down together. i don't know billy joe's joel's biography was he a, a, was he in the military i mean is that him writing from experience I don't know actually. Hmm. I feel like he. I feel like he was having heard that. Yeah. yeah, that surely sounds reflective. Um, are you still in connected touch with any of those smacks? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have. Yeah, we get together from time to time. Yeah, so it's. Uh, we've got a big reunion coming up. Our twenty fifth reunion uh, next year. Yeah, next year.
1: Hmm. So that was nineteen ninety four when you were getting out of the Air Force Academy. What was? going on in the world then cuz i look back on it now from a civilian standpoint it seems like that was all pre-9/11 all the stuff that we've gone through you know since the turn of the cent or you know 2000 what was your perspective as a, rec- a new coming graduate like what was the world looking like for you guys in terms of where you were going to go and what were the big deals that were on the horizon
0: yeah, well, cuz our freshman year was the first Gulf War and so we were the ones sitting in our dorm rooms watching the right. bombs fall, you know, on CNN like everyone else was. Yeah, yeah. And I remember
1: I was at UCF, I was at a pool bar and everybody stopped and it got quiet cuz you saw the anti-aircraft right. stuff going up on CNN.
0: Exactly uh and then you know by the time we graduated it was interesting because all of us had been guaranteed pilot slots so normally people just went to the academy if you just simply graduated you're pretty much guaranteed to fly mm-hmm. and then because of all the defense cutbacks that were happening when president clinton got elected um you know there were only 200 of us that got to essentially go to pilot training so what used to be this very collaborative environment was like how do you you know what we called pimp over your classmate so that you got a pilot slot and they didn't. Um, and so I think a lot of us were kind of going into it with uncertainty. Many of us were just kind of getting thrown into jobs. And that's kind of what happened to me. I got sent to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and there were so many lieutenants there that I was in a kind of a dead-end job. I was like, what do I do here? And I tried to move like within – you know, at Wright-Patterson Air Force, there was no place I could go. So that's when I volunteered to work a Saudi Arabian program. Uh, and. And what was interesting is that uh, lieutenants are considered non career duty officers. So normally you can't move until after like three years, but they make a special dispensation. And so I had to like work it out with Personnel Center to like move in this job. And that's when I got my first real international experience working in about
1: in Saudi Arabia about 80% of my time. And that was so the mid 90s you were in Saudi Arabia? I was, yeah. Hmm. You were in South America for a while at some point too, right? Yeah, so after that job is when I did counter drug
0: operations in Colombia.
1: All over the world. Yes, bro. that's when I got my Commando Bob nickname. <clears throat> um, so that song by Billy Joel. Do you listen to it? Is it on your iTunes? It, did you listen to it prior to you know picking it for this show?
0: No, I just I haven't listened to it for years. Right? It was just Isn't that crazy how yeah. this process does that? But I just remember like sitting in the dorm room, and I, there's this guy Bill Engberg, that came in my room and just was like yelling it outside. We will all be Smacks forever. <laughs>
1: Um, isn't that crazy like what was going through your head when you were listening to it here you know in the headphones and everything I mean I
0: could see myself in my like Air Force uniform you know Academy uniform just sitting in my room karaoke what's my go-to yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh man Uh, I would say because it's such a crowd pleaser you know Sweet Caroline I've done that uh, quite a bit because I always say like this song is about you not about me and you know gets the crowd going
1: (laughs) We had on uh, one of our early guests is a woman. She's since moved on, but she was the um, Florida vice president of operations for the Boston Red Sox. And so she like is who built JetBlue Park. She oversaw all that she had like her office was over at the top. And we used that song to tee up her episode just because she said she during the episode that she couldn't stand it anymore <laughs> <laughs> nice. never wanted to hear it again in her right, life right, right. Um, so uh, do you do karaoke often is that something that you are happy to get roped into or even maybe seek out well I think
0: after taking voice lessons I feel a bit more confident about oh, okay. uh, yeah, doing yeah. it uh, but it Uh, I mean, if there is a mic and there is like one of those little private rooms that you find in Koreatown in New York, I will be on the mic.
1: Uh, Do you have any TV theme songs committed to memory? And if so, with those vocal lessons, could we perhaps get you to sing a bit?
0: Oh, my gosh. My raspy, Um, I think. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. Never thought I could feel so free. Lying away, a wing on a wing and a, and a prayer. prayer, who could it be? Believe it or not, it's my Canary. Oh, nice.
1: <laughs> that uh, that song is turning out to be a real favorite in this oh, show. Yeah? I think it stuck further into our consciousness, which is funny because prior to launching this show, I don't think that even entered my brain for decades. And then suddenly as we ask people these questions, it's usually Gilligan's Island, Cheers, yeah, Greatest American Hero. That's pretty much the yeah. winners. Um, how about musical movies or Broadway shows? Do you have any uh, that you're you know you Smed said when you were a kid you guys used to watch like Wizard of Oz and yeah. but what about like in life? Do you go see shows? You seen Hamilton stuff like that? I
0: have. Yeah, I've been to about uh, eleven shows since I've been to New York. I just saw recently Carol King the musical, which I recommend to anyone. Yeah, I heard that it was really cool. Um, but one of the craziest movies that I that I own and I watch is Prince under the Cherry Moon. <clears throat> I remember that, but I'm not sure I ever saw it. It is in black and white and it's just oh, right. uh, yeah. cheesy and but I just that's one of my favorite albums of his and uh, I just you know it's it's a it's a guilty pleasure.
1: Hmm. Um <laughs> did you know, real quick aside, did you know that the version of Purple Rain that's on the album was recorded in front of a live audience the first time he ever played it for an audience? I had
0: heard that, and it was like because he recorded absolutely
1: everything. He, he ever did. hired a crew to record him playing that song the first time he played it in front of people, and that's what they put on the album. I mean,
0: that guy's a genius. That's one of my greatest regrets in life. Yeah, because I had planned to see him in concert, and then that was the year that he never got passed. around to it.
1: And you figured you had plenty of time because yep. he was still right on top of his game. Man, um, favorite band. Um, you
0: know, I'd say, you know, you two, as much as I did not – like when I, my run-ins with Bonox actually were not great because <laughs> uh, uh, I don't really get uh, starstruck around celebrities. And so uh, we were in this trip, that Africa trip. We were in the, at the U.S. ambassador to Uganda's house and, you know, I'm an Irish kid. So, uh, you know, I'm drinking a beer and he's like got a, a Chardonnay and I was like, I don't know, Bono. What do you think our ancestors would think about you drinking a white wine? And he just was like – who are you talking to me
1: about this stuff so anyway so so but but you two's music yeah it's probably what you will always return to despite the fact that bono's a yeah ball. i just think
0: well i think like the joshua tree was such a at a at a time in my life it's just it's one of those albums i'll play straight yeah. through. i just love it um
1: that was my next question is do you have any albums that you have to listen to all the way through if you started are there any any besides that one Anything outside of the U2 universe?
0: Um, I mean, it's been a while, but I think I used to listen to, like Peter Gabriel's, uh, some of his albums. I think So was one of them. There were some other ones too. I'm terrible with kind of album names, but.
1: Um, I think you already answered this earlier, but are there any modern, mainstreamly popular bands that you are also a fan of? You know, th- things that are right out there in the culture with millions and billions of views on whatever.
0: Um. You know, I more know kind of melodies versus like, uh, like the song versus like who's singing it. And so I think like with my nephew in the booth, you know, the chants, the rapper, or some, some type of. He's um, nodding. Yes. Uh, I just, I, I think there's a lot of really kind of creative talent that's going on there. I just, for me, I love so many different types of music that I just, I love to just try to understand what's, what's going on.
1: You know, a theme that's come out of the interviews that we've done for the show is how because we have such easy access to music these days, people are being more experimenting. You know, they're they're reaching further because it used to be that you liked what you liked and if you bought an album, you were going to listen to that album because you kind of were invested in it and you couldn't just listen to everything for free. You know, I guess you can go into, you know, peaches and put on the little headphones next to the album and listen to it or whatever. But it's like it's um broadening all of us and making us all realize that there's a much, much bigger musical world. So...
0: I think that's true. I also um, regret a little bit of that, that it's too open because mm-hmm. there used to be these songs that all of us knew growing up. And there was, yeah. that, was that common bond yeah. that came from just knowing those songs, like Bon Jovi. I remember as a kid, like everyone just like knew all Living of their- new...
1: a <laughs> Exactly.
0: <laughs> and I was at, at my first concert, I think it was Chicago. And that was uh, a big, uh, you know, kind of Chicago because of the- Where was that? I was at- Lee Civic Center? Yeah, exactly. Wow. I know. Really? Back in the day, yes. And I got this special permission to go to the
1: concert. You know? Right? Who'd you go with? No idea. No idea. You didn't
0: go by yourself. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Might have gone with like Brian Hughes. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll have to ask him. Right. Exactly.
1: Uh, he's on my list too. Obviously. Is it? Yeah. Uh, Santa Claus. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Um, okay, it's time for your last song. What are we gonna hear? Well. Um, A big part of why I'm doing the ocean
0: plastic stuff now uh, is because of my experience in Haiti and I went to Haiti after the 2010 earthquake originally just to kind of help people get more access to safe water. Uh, I found all these people are getting sick from cholera. When I looked at why, it was because of flooding. What was causing the flooding was – all the canals were clogged and when I looked at why they were clogged, it was all the plastic garbage in the canal. So I kinda of, I helped start plastic recycling for the country way back when. And a lot of that plastic that wasn't collected it was kind of going out in the water and washing up. And one of the presidents, I think, from Jamaica sent a box to the president of Haiti and he opened it up and it was like all this plastic garbage. And he's like, Hey, this washed up on our shores, uh, thanks, but you can keep your present. Huh. Um and, you know, so I traveled all around the country and I had Haitian staff and i'd say haiti is the hardest place i've ever worked um the people that i worked with had such grit um such determination what they went through to kind of you know just and so there were a lot of hard times a lot of difficulties but when this song came on we would all be jamming in the car on it and so there's a it's kind of a song to me about um
1: through adversity there's still hope and hmm. opportunity um so this would have been in haiti yep Um, What kind of car would this have been? I like Uh, to paint a picture. It
0: depends. I mean there started to be rental car companies who would go down there, whatever we could get from it. So most of the time it was an SUV like a a Mitsubishi or something like that that could get us through the tough roads and not break down. Uh, Because when we ever got a sedan, it would just – we would get stuck somewhere. So we just kind of said let's pay the extra money and get a – uh, you know, an SUV.
1: All right. Well, let's uh, let's get in that Mitsubishi SUV with Bob and his uh, Haitian staff. And it's me,
0: to... as the only white guy among like you know all these you know great Haitian you know people of
1: color. All right. This is uh, it's Hope by Twista featuring CeeLo Green. Yes. Those are words I've never put together before uh, from her 2011 album Kamikaze. So, were you all singing the different parts? Uh, mainly it just do the chorus. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I tried to rap,
0: but I didn't. I can saying.
1: hear, yeah, because there's a lot of little layers there, especially toward the end. I could see you guys all kind of timing and doing your thing. Um, what were some of the other songs from that same era? Did you pick that song because of that particular song, or was that just a good representation of that time and place for you?
0: Um, there were a lot of songs, I mean, because they had a lot of English uh station so that we would definitely like whatever song was on we would just try to rap like something that was like along that beat that was something that we were kind of doing and we just had fun uh just laughing like crazy but i'd say that was the song that when i thought about we most commonly would like just stop everything and just start singing that was it
1: when was the last time you were back in haiti it's about two years
0: now yeah i still talk to my guys they' they're still the program's still going, uh, but uh,
1: independent of you now
0: independent of me, yes, so we worked with a company to kind of take over that recycling and I've kind of replicating the model that I started in Haiti uh, in places like indonesia
1: how's how's things going there I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I mean how is haiti these days
0: um you know, I think they're going through still a lot of political turmoil, and I mean it's still tough in terms of jobs and things like that I mean it's just it's such a crazy place because you have the super wealthy that are there. Most of them have been educated in the United States and you have those that are living off of a dollar a day. And I wonder if the folks that are living off a dollar a day ever figure out that there's a lot more of them than there are of the wealthy you know, elites. Will things dramatically change? Hmm. Um, so I, I, yeah, I just think there has to be enough opportunity to keep those people at the base of the pyramid kind of in uh, – to have some hope. If they don't, then – Watch out!
1: Hmm. Um, let's talk about uh, uh, songs or bands that almost made it to your list. Was there a fourth or fifth that you you know you had at the end? You had to kind of kill one because there was only three allowed.
0: Well, I did think about I mean, some type of U two song because there was a time in Africa during that same trip I mentioned where um, I still haven't found what I was what I'm looking for uh and uh like they they had a recording cuz they did like the african version of that song right and and then the tape actually like cut out and then bono like stepped in to like sing the song so it was like one of those like kind of like moments you yeah. don't really think of so i thought about uh that um you know i i feel like i'm kind of a i do think some of these songs like um you know Frosty and I like we used to like just joke around singing like uh raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens you know just like, <laughs> just ridiculous wasn't sure where you're going ridiculous, but I like where it went right up. ridiculous <laughs> you know kind of stuff so um and then he and I like there was that um uh what's the the Jay-Z New York version uh what's it? I can't remember the and Looking at right, the wrong The one with guy, Alicia Bob. Keys. <laughs> and like, uh, he and I would sing those entire songs as like in a cat voice. Uh, so I will not replicate that here, but it's just. You sure? I'm sure. Mew, yeah. mew, mew.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: and a lot of your guests I've heard have had cats, so I don't have nine yeah, cats. There, yeah, there's a lot
1: of cat naming going on in yes. the show. I never pass up an opportunity to force somebody to name their cats. Right. Um, what was the process? Did you start with songs and then look for memories? Did you start for, with Memories and look for songs. Well, you didn't give me a whole lot of time. You're right. That's true. You, you had, you're had. you on the shorter end of the right. spectrum um, of time so allowed.
0: I just uh, thought back in my life, like, what were some of those moments in time that were um, just that I could think of a specific song? Because I'd say music is a big part of my life, um, but I, I can't. There were only a few songs that really, like, these are the ones. Like when I used to go running a lot, you know, whatever for every reason, the, the theme song of the Untouchables hmm. is just one of those ones that just I just like if i'm trying to sprint or something like that it's yeah like it's, a i can hear that it it's got gets, a lot of energy a lot of yeah. momentum
1: in it. and so
0: i don't, I don't know kind of random
1: uh can you re- recommend any bands that um you're a big fan of that are not on the beaten path that you might want to give a shout out to
0: oh my gosh these are tough questions
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, <laughs> uh i'm sure there's some i can't think of uh them right this minute
1: best album of all time in your opinion
0: I, the Joshua Tree is hard to, hard, you know. I, you know, There's also two. I just think like the Beatles. It's just as. Ah, as finally, the Beatles came up. We as, almost made it through an entire <laughs>
1: episode without the word Beatles being uttered. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it's just hard. I just, I feel like there's something about that kind of classic, uh, just sim- simple, you know, kind of lyric that just really gets the heart of something.
1: Um, album that you would pick if you could only listen to one album again? We found that to be generally different than your favorite album, but it can be your favorite album. Um, I'm more kind of a song
0: person, um, but there's just different, probably some like compilation of the Smiths hmm. that would just be like their, you know, please, please let me get what I want and some of their other, you know, kind of classic things. It's just like some of these off the beaten path, Morrissey. Mm-hmm. I think I, I would, I'm more like if you get the, uh, actually, I take that back. Um, After seeing the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, I mean, Queen was such a big Uh, part. And I used to listen. I had like the the classic Queen album that I used to listen to all the time.
1: Yeah. You know, know, my brother Joe back in the 80s was a huge Queen fan. And that's all he played in his room. And I thought he was nuts. (laughs) But I put up with it because he had the Commodore 64. And so I could play the games. And then I got on into life. And I'm like, well, hey, Joe. Goodness gracious. You turned me on to some really great music early on because they are epic in every way.
0: Yeah. And I think it also fits with that kind of uh, um, theme for me is I just love these kind of artists that have such range mm-hmm. and they just had such range from the opera to the classic to the like more hardcore, almost metal esque aspect to them.
1: Um, any songs that you will always turn off if they come up on the radio or they enter your perspective and you have power over them for either because you just don't like the band or the music or the sound or because of a memory association?
0: Nickelback? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cla- too easy. I know, I know. Um, I'd say and it pains me so much because one of my friends is like a top bluegrass singer. But for some reason, I just can't get bluegrass to stick. Some of his ballads I like, I really like. But the normal like bluegrass kind of sound is just something I just can't. I just can't handle.
1: I've learned in life that the key to bluegrass – is live, in-person, alcohol. Perfect. Yes. Any other derivation of bluegrass? <laughs> nope. Yes. I Well, that's probably true. Yes. Some type of festival or something like that, I will love them. The, the, just the genuineness and the joy and it just talent and it's so good. But as soon as I like, put a CD in or something, I'm like, got nothing. <laughs> right. I know. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, that is, that is it, Bob. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Um. I'd just say to
0: people, find whatever the music of your life is and use that to do what your purpose is. And they say there's like the most – two most important days in your life. One is the day you're born. The second is the day you learn why. So find that why.
1: We make this show in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is online content producer. Chris Duff is his executive producer. Our theme song was made by Dave Dave, Dave Cowan, and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. And we got production help for this episode from Bob's nephew, Kevin Callaghan. Hey everybody, just a friendly reminder to like us on Facebook. We're at 3 Song Stories, and we are now on Instagram, so check us out there. And if you wouldn't mind, stop into Apple Podcasts and give us a rating there too. And if you're liking what we're doing, tell a friend or two or as many as you have. For this week's Parting Tune, I'm going back to the mid-80s. I mentioned in the show open that Bob and I had grown up playing junior golf and being mild-mannered hooligans. Well, he was the mildest mannered of us all, so it's always made me smile that he turned out to be the action figure a among us. Anyway, Bob and I, and our friends Beef and Biff, that's Alan and Brian to you outsiders, really did grow up together on the golf course. Mostly Fort Myers Country Club, but over the summers we'd play different courses around the area as part of the Southwest Florida Junior Golf Association, and then later as high school golfers. So I knew I had to pull a song that somehow tied that all together, and this is by far the closest I could get. It's I'm Alright by Kenny Loggins, which was the theme song to the all-time classic nineteen eighty comedy Caddyshack, which I I and Bob and Beef and Biff, might as well throw Frosty and Milty in too. At this point, have seen countless times, and its absurdness in many ways captures the nature of our friendships, which continue strongly to this very day. Nothing better than old friends and deep roots. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening.
0: Next time on Three Song Stories. Ah!